um, we can just speak in. Okay. There we go. Thank, Thank you, Evelyn. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming. Uh, just let me put my glasses on. Actually, <laughs> you can take that. And I think I'll need them on the end of my nose. <laughs> just hold it close to your mouth. There we go. <laughs> okay. Uh, this little talk is called uh, Drawing the Longest Line from Australia to the Gulf. And I want this talk to be a little bit like um, the drawn line. Uh, we're going to only have half an hour. Uh, I want, uh, there's a direction and a structure in mind about this little talk. But in the middle of it, I want to have great liberty, which is exactly what we do when we draw. We begin, we sort of have an idea, and then as you go into it, you want to feel that you can actually move and have a great freedom about your movement. Um, I am trying to draw... I'm going to read for a little while. I'm going to, uh, trying to draw the longest line uh, from the well-established artists of the Australian continent. I think that was just a broken drawing, Peter. Uh, um, let me see. To the Emirati artists who enjoy the globe's most incredible luxuries, to the young artist who pretends madness in order to practise her art... Now, I've been very, very lucky in being able to move across the globe, actually, to look at this particular uh, set of works by uh, really well-established Australian artists, to moving to the Gulf region, uh, Bahrain, Dubai and Abu Dhabi, and to have a little bit of a look at what's happening at the, on the grassroots level there, to travelling through China up into Tibet to have a little bit of a look at what's happening there. So I have three perspectives uh, that I'd like to just touch on in this little talk. Uh, this particular exhibition, well, why have we drawn these artists together? These artists have been drawn together because uh, I commissioned a book through being the director of a, a new international research centre called MetaCentre that does quite adventurous projects all over the world. And I felt through looking at drawing across the globe and its ascendancy into our sort of knowledge bank now, it was really important for Australia to actually have a survey on Australian drawing. And I thought, well, the best person to do this, as far as I could see, to have a, an international perspective to start off with, was a woman called Dr Janet McKenzie, who's coming out of St Andrews uh, University in uh, the UK, and who did the original drawing book in 1986, called Australia, Contemporary Australian Drawing. And some of the artists uh, are actually uh, in that particular book, uh, myself included, uh, as a young artist in 1986. And that was an, a very interesting book, and it's held sway in VCE, in high schools and universities ever since it was actually published. So I invited Janet to... Uh, select her own artists. I had a few artists that I wanted to put in the book, but really she, it was, it's her selection of artists because she's writing about them. Okay, so we have a book that's not published yet but should come out by the end of the year, and that's volume one of this survey of Australian art uh, drawing. Uh, we then move to the fact that I was going to curate this exhibition, and it's very interesting selecting artists from another person's choice. So I originally was going to do two exhibitions where we would have the entire 75 artists uh, in, across Melbourne in two uh, venues. However, one of the venues, it, it got a little bit muddled and I stopped doing that. So I was left with the artists that I'd chosen uh, for this space. Uh, I didn't choose the works, only that 
Janet McKenzie had chosen to write about for this book, I actually spoke to the artist and I said, please, just give me a drawing of your choice. Because I think also it, uh, sometimes it's really good to have a, for artists to have a liberty about how they want to represent themselves. So uh, I suddenly ended up with all of these works and I had to put them together into an exhibition, which I don't know whether any of you have create, curated a show, but it is actually very difficult to put a coherent 35 artists together into one space. So I pondered on how I was going to actually do this. And three o'clock one morning, I just woke up and I thought, uh, I know everybody's work here. I know roughly the scale. And I, as an installation, a little like my own installations, I just sort of put it together. And I'm very glad to say that it took Peter and I two days to put it up and there was no confusion. It went in actually almost exactly the space that I had felt was right for the work. Um, so now I can actually begin to talk about this particular work. All right. So I started thinking about uh, conventional drawing, drawing as we sort of have really think about it, perceptual work. And I thought, right, well, my lecturer very early on was a woman called Pam Hallandall, and half the people in here maybe I'm exaggerating, but nearly half the people in here were taught by Pam. And I thought, well, Pam really should have a place that I think of, of um, prominence. So Pam's work, which is this one up here, Pam Hallandall, uh, put in this drawing and I just put it there because, it, uh, because she has been a proponent of the conventions of drawing and uh, she's the utterly committed artist to her drawing. She's just won the Dobell. Uh, she's a marvellous woman and she's touched many, many people in this commu art community. I thought, okay, what's next? And I thought, well, light and the idea of new technologies is so important to drawing. Uh, it's one of the, you know, we light is incorporated into digital imaging. Light is involved in uh, new installations. So I chose... Uh, Ewan Heng to have put his elephant, Neon, in the centre. And then I thought of uh, Greg Creek, who works with structure and spatial drawing and uh, is com a committed artist, as everyone in here is, but really committed to drawing. And so I put him there. And I just thought the narrative across that wall really uh, explains a lot about Australian art. It, it is moving from the perceptual into the conceptual and all the space in between. All right, now what I thought I'd do is generally just walk around, not just stay here, but walk around the space. If anyone wants to ask me questions, please do. Uh, and when we come back, I'll talk about across the Gulf. Okay? Okay, there are, there are, when I looked at how to hang this show, I wanted mountains and valleys. I wanted a landscape because I feel the... Uh, the book is needing to be a landscape. So I did not hang as a salon, which is all in front of the eyes with uh, a middle work and uh, a top and a bottom. I hung it as an installation. So I wanted to have the work soar up into the heights of those beautiful walls and then move all the way down to the floor, which Greg's do. So when you walk through the door, you see the heads of Jan Senberg's you almost think you're in an African exhibition. You have a, a, a neon in front of it of an elephant. 
And then you realise as you begin to walk that you're, you're looking up, you're looking down, you're looking around. You know, you're actually very mobile in this space. You aren't, it's not just a cerebral uh, look at drawings and artworks. It's a physical contact with these works. All right, so we had um, Bernard, who has, Sash, who's worked for many years within the community. Uh, I don't actually really want to go into everybody's work because it'll take far too long. Needless to say, I'll, I'll just quickly point out a few things. The pattern in, in this particular work uh, is replicated three times around within this uh, space. You have Bernard, who's used the diagonals. You have Kerry Polinus, who has used the crystalline form up here. And you have my little drawings of 1975, of when I was a student, I was actually working on the crystalline form too. So you have a thread that moves through. Okay, you have the figuration. You have the idea of the portrait, which we have in Ginny's work, Ginny Grayson and also Pam Hallandall's. And we continue into the, with the figure, people who uh, intersect with figurative work specifically. Okay, so, and these are such diverse artists. You generally would never see these artists together. However, for this particular show, they just seem to fit. Um, we have John Catapan and his carbon drawings, Ray Arnold. We have Jennifer Mills, Vivian Sharklewit, and uh, Jenny Watson. And we just move over. Let's all come over. We now move uh, to Graham Francella, who is a printmaker, but uses the mark here. And suddenly the... the the figure is beginning to disintegrate. It's, it's sort of coming together and then it's disintegrating. And I just felt that here with Jörg Senberg's um, Schmeiss's uh, landscape, that the idea of the figure exploding and disappearing and suddenly the clouds and the landscape forming was a really good interpoint with, with this particular exhibition. So now we move into, we've gone from figuration, we now move into the landscape. We also notice that uh, the colouring is similar. There is a, a, a nice sort of juxtaposition of colour there. We have Philip Hunter's work. These, are, these works are not um, done in 2010 or 2009. These works move from 1975 or 73 actually, all the way through to 2010. Philip Hunter's lovely landscape, sitting in the landscape, observing. Strong perceptual work to do with the landscape. We, work, we turn around again and here we have Mandy Martin working from, directly from the landscape again. Jan Sandberg's working with charcoal. So this wall here is, is people who are actually working with charcoal. Michael Essen who works out of Sydney He's been working for a long time, and Bill Kelly. And Bill was actually one of the uh, people who got the first Australian drawing book underway. He invited uh, Dr Janet McKenzie to write the initial Australian drawing book. So we have these large marks, these uh, very bold sort of works. And beside them is the very quiet area. Here we have Alan Middleman's beautiful mark making on the right here 
I felt in this very sort of, uh, uh, sort of not cluttered, but, you know, there's a lot of uh, works around. I just felt there needed to be a, a resting spot. So Alan's is like a resting spot in, in this uh, exhibition. Sarah Tomasetti, who uh, lectures in drawing actually in RMIT, sort of working with the cosmos, working with uh, ideas of um, transitions. And Deborah Klein, who is working with line, line in uh, printing, line in drawing, and Deborah also actually uh, has taught in RMIT drawing. Okay, we walk around. We have the sketchbook of Mandy Martins here, done out in the, the bush. Okay, this section puts together... Landscape in another way. Uh, the tree, the tree with birds, animals, and then the beginnings of an internal space from Helen Maudsley. Uh, this work here by Helen Wright is, I think, is 2010. It's a very recent work. These works are done in the 90s. And that's what I think I love about drawing, that in actual fact, you can make works. You could make work when you were... 1950, and then relook at them now, and that language carries through. You can look at works done in medieval times, and that line and that particular work it carries through. So there's a very strong lineage of drawing in uh, the world, and a very long, a strong lineage of drawing in Australia. Okay, let's move quickly. Uh, the reason I put these little works in, which are just from a notebook that I did in 1975. It, looks, it shows you a sort of a, a transition from the figurative, which is the little crystalline vase, into the pattern and into refraction. And 30 years later, about, I make this drawing, which is the light drawing. This particular work, uh, which is actually a light work that I've been making uh, all around the world at this particular point. I've done lots of these installations. It looks at geometry, the disappearance of geometry and the appearance of the random and the, uh, the random line and also the structured line. We turn to our right and we have Mike Parr, Breathless. The video speaks for itself. It has a strong sound, an audio component, and it faces the still, direct staring portrait of Godwin Bradbeers. Now, Godwin is using a conventional way of drawing, his own. Uh, he's worked at this particular form of drawing for many years. Uh, however, recently, uh, actually through an exhibition that he and I had called uh, Lux in Tenebris Lucette, which is light coming out of the darkness, uh, he began to use this projected light upon the drawings, which is why it's in this room here of projections. And it's actually added a, another whole element to his work, uh, and it's, uh, I think it's a very, very beautiful still work. So I think with this room, with Mike Parr and Godwin Bradbeer facing one another, they sit together, and yet they're so vastly different. Okay, let's quit.
quickly move out of here. Okay. And now we move to the last two walls. Hi, Luciana. Uh, we have Gosha. And Gosha has actually just uh, been working at uh, the Museum of Modern Art with Marina Abramovich, uh, working on some of her drawings. She has a residency over there. And she is a performance artist, as well as the most wonderful draftswoman. Okay. As I said, I'm actually not going to talk about these works, but here is Hilaire May. And 1973, this is the work that she was making back then, and it follows very closely to her work that she is making today. So you can see some people's form of work stays exactly the same. Others move and expand into new technologies and into different things. We have Kerry Polinus, who makes very large wall drawings, and I'm very sorry that she wasn't able to make a large one here, but there was no space for it in this show. Um, and that's... Uh, her very beautiful drawings on the crystalline form. Stieg Pearson with the, the curve, which relates back into a type of uh, calligraphy and a script. Wilma Tobacco, who's been working with gold leaf, and in this particular work, creating lines in a different way. John Wolseley, who has been working for many years with the Australian landscape, and this particular work I really love. I love the idea of the music and the mark and uh, moving through the landscape with music. Uh, we have also Adrian Page, who works with CAD, computer-aided uh, drafting. The, this particular work is a very huge sculpture, all done by hand, hand-folded stainless steel, 30,000 bolts, and each component of the drawing is actually computed himself, so which means that he makes up the measurements for every single component. It is not, uh, it is not computed by the computer, and that's a book of his sculpture. Okay, so we've gone around the exhibition, and I've sort of tried to give you a logic of 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 it, that moving from the figurative into the landscape, into a conventional way, into a quiet, different way of drawing through into the more uh, radical mark makings with the paint of Aida, into Culture Kitchen and the political uh, piece there on uh, Timor, into the Lightroom where we're using uh, uh, newer technologies. All right. So that's, going to, that's the first part of this talk. I don't know what time it is. I've got three minutes left, haven't I? Okay, well, I've come back from the Middle East. All right. Now, when I went over there, I didn't really know what I was actually going to see or find. All I knew is that I was invited by one of my students to come and have a look at her country. So I went, and I taught Mariam, her name is, I won't go into details, I taught Mariam life drawing. So I arrived over in, the, uh, across, in um, Bahrain to look at the art scene and to look to see if we could do a project there. The first thing that I was confronted with was the fact that I, I actually couldn't walk on my own in parts of the of the city. The second day I was there, I went to a festival called the Death Festival, uh, which shocked me totally. It's in this book here. Uh, the next day, uh, Mariam came to me and said, no, she, was, uh, she couldn't show her small work that she'd made of her shoulder. 
because the gallery would be closed down. And so it suddenly hit me. One day I'm teaching my student life drawing. The next one she would be basically put in jail if she showed it. The, a very uh, contemporary gallery would be closed down if, if indeed there was a figurative uh, woman put onto the wall, which raised a lot of questions. So what I did when I was in uh, Bahrain, Dubai and Abu Dhabi, I interviewed 25 artists for an exhibition just to see how they were working. I was not interested in international artists, those that come out of their country to make work. There's a lot of those from the Gulf region and they make wonderful work, fantastic. But I was interested in those who are actually staying at home and working and what was the arts, what, what was the art scene there? I found that there are virtually no art schools in the Gulf. There is one fantastic one in Sharjah, which is near Dubai, but there are none at all in Bahrain. There are certain art groups happening, but they're, it, it, it's still quite limited. We have huge uh, institutions like the Guggenheim, the Louvre, uh, the Sorbonne, all opening up in Abu Dhabi. But you have half the population that is not actually allowed to, to go there. I have to be a little bit careful of my rhetoric here. But it was very, very challenging. So uh, um, how can I draw comparisons when here we are able to explore drawing to wherever we want to go? But in these other parts of the world, it's not quite so, especially for women. Uh, however, on saying that, you have these wonderful stories, and I have a lot. You have the the royalty of Dubai, the princess of Dubai, who's an artist, a fantastic artist, and who's trying to help um, blossom her art and other people's art within Dubai. Um, on my trip over to Abu Dhabi, I found out the person who was driving the car is actually a prince of Sharjah, I didn't know, and that was interesting. And we uh, went to a gallery, and here is a very young artist, 23, who basically had escaped in order to come and talk to me and have an interview. And I was told that if I spoke her name or I, I, I put an interview out, it would be very likely that she would be in dire straits. So I'm not going to mention her name. Uh, her family rang three times. She's, she was 23 to see where she was while I was talking to her on this particular couch. She told me the story of how she desperately wanted to be an artist, and but she had uh, the family would not pay for her do, to do uh, design, not even art. When you're talking about art, art in uh, this particular region, you're talking about design and digital computing, etc. So uh, this particular artist uh, had no money, and the family had no money, but she wanted to be an artist. And so what she did was that she would wait. She was too embarrassed to tell anyone. She would wait till everybody left, and then she'd pick up their refuse, and then she would make her art. And she did this for two years, and the work is fantastic. And she had to actually pretend that she was crazy to her family and to her friends in order to practice her art. And to me that was a, a most wonderful challenge because artists across the world are challenged to make art. It's very difficult to be an artist and to continue your practice. But here is a young girl just uh, making art, no matter what it costs, basically. Okay, from the Middle East I went to Tibet through China. 
and there was another very interesting scenario for artists who are working, making any form of artwork. Because here, I don't want to get too political, but there you have a, uh, an inc a submerged society. You have a society that is fighting. It is, uh, I, I was actually very, very challenged. I was challenged to see, uh, actually, um, 26 soldiers on every street corner. I was challenged to see 40 tanks on a little, on a big train going to a little village. I was, it, it was challenging. Okay, next thing. The artists that were in Tibet were strong. They were committed. Nothing would stop them working. Uh, and the works were fantastic. Had a, I had a show with uh, the, the project people that I brought to this particular place. I had uh, seven universities and 17 people with me and uh, of artists, photographers, filmmakers, musicians. And we went uh, to really to um, begin to research all the pathways that are happening through Tibet. And uh, the most touching, one of the most touching parts of that was sitting at a table after the opening of this particular exhibition uh, and a young artist, a woman with a small baby, just sat there with tears rolling down her face because she had been working and working and working and here were people who were actually coming and speaking her language. And, you know, and it was very difficult to get into that particular country. Uh, I'm actually still not sure how come we got in there, but, um, but we did and it was a very uh, wonderful I don't know how many days we were there, a couple of weeks, uh, and the artists were fantastic too. So uh, I'd like to say a lot more about that, but I can't say a lot more about that, actually, because it's just a little bit too political. And in actual fact, uh, in some of these regions, when you make art, it is political. Uh, if I could just sort of just step back to, to myself, and I'll finish on this note. Uh, with a lot of my work I do, uh, apart from lights and everything else, uh, I do inflatables. And uh, my, my work with inflatables are three-metre pink, fluorescent pink crosses uh, that I write in because I like writing about the apocalypse and the end of the world. Okay. Now here I can make a work like that and it's a beautiful sort of object uh, and it's sort of interesting if you're interested in that sort of thing. But if I took that anywhere to where I just spoke about, uh, I wouldn't be able to stand here and talk about uh, making drawings. I'd probably be behind bars. And that's what's so interesting about art. You can actually make it. You can say things that you could never speak out your mouth. And you can actually confront issues in your work. And these artists across the world are doing just that. Uh, and it doesn't have to be political. It can be so very personal. It can be uh, whether you wake up in the morning or whether you don't. It can be that personal. Okay, so that's why I, I called this talk The Longest Line, from here to there, because it covers so much. Drawing covers so much. It covers geography, and it also covers the immense sort of travelling that we do in our lifetimes.
as artists and what courage you actually need and commitment you need to, to be an artist in today's globalised world where the borders are blurring and uh, everything is becoming visible. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Irene. We've got time for just a few questions if anyone would like to ask a question about any aspect of this. Is anything anyone would like to? This is your opportunity to speak to the curator. No? Uh, which country? Um, uh, yeah. Okay, across the Gulf had there were three.